The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, again, good morning. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them uh, and open them up to uh, Romans chapter 11. Uh, If you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand on up. Uh, We've got some coming around here in the back, and so just raise your hand on up and we'll pass those along to you. Um, If you're visiting with us today, let me just welcome you. I've already introduced myself earlier, but uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here. Uh, And uh, basically what we like to do uh, is we like to dive into the Word of God, see what the Word of God says, and then just really ask the Lord to apply it to our hearts. Uh, One thing uh, that I believe uh, is one of the most loving things that I can do with you uh, is not pander with you. And let me just, let me just explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, I don't want to stand up here and just simply tell you things that I think that you want to hear. Uh, I don't want to just simply stand here and tell you things that I think in the end uh, will make you happy or make you like me in some sense of the word. But what I would rather do is tell you some honest truth because I believe that's the most loving thing that I can do for you and with you. Amen? I mean, if I just simply uh, gave my kids everything that they've always wanted just simply so that they would be happy, uh, they would eat Reese's peanut butter cups and banana splits for every meal. All right? And in the end, it would make them sick and it would kill them. And, and so some of the most loving things that I can do with you is not just pander with you, but tell you some hard truths. And so today, I want to talk to you about who God is. I want to talk to you about uh, what God is about. I want to talk to you about God's name and his renown and his glory. In order to do that, uh, we need to start in Romans chapter 11. All right, so when you're there, get ready. We're going to start in Romans 11, verse 33. All right, if you have one of our Bibles, uh, the page number is up here. Uh, if you have one of your own, uh, you, just, you just have to find it, I guess. Romans 11, verse 33. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, I love that there's an exclamation mark there uh, because Paul is basically just saying, Oh, the depths. The depths of the riches that are God. You can keep that. (laughs) Oh, the depths of the riches. Oh, the depths and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. And, And let me explain it to you this way. The depths and the riches and the knowledge of God are so deep that it's difficult for us to comprehend. In in Deuteronomy 10, it says that every sky on every planet uh, belongs to to the Lord. Every solar, every star, every moon, every planet, everything, the bigness that your mind can imagine, it says that it all belongs to God. In Colossians 1, it says that he is sovereign and he is good and through him and for him are all things. So everything that was created was through him and for him and to him. And so God stands over it all. Let me explain it to you this way. There is nothing... Nothing that you can see, feel, touch, understand. There is nothing that God doesn't rightly stand over and say, that's mine. There's nothing out there that that, that happens. Everything belongs to God. And this is what it says. It says, oh, the depths of the riches of God. Now, Now, let me explain it to you this way. God is not confined to natural resources. Eric, what do you mean by that? 
If you and I wanted to go buy a house, we would be confined or boxed in by our credit score, our credit limit, the amount of money that we can borrow. If you wanted to go build a house, you would be confined by how much wood you had, uh, how much the forest that you can make the lumber, or you would be confined to natural resources. Are you tracking with me? God is not confined by any type of natural resources or any type of financial uh, top to his budget. He says, oh, the riches of God, which means that God can have as much of anything that he wants at any time that he wants, and he's not confined by anything outside of him. And so here God says, uh, here Paul says, oh, the depths of of the riches. It's all yours. You can make more of anything that you want at any time. All you have to do is speak and it happens. But he also says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Let me, let me paint this picture for you. God knows every word in every language, in every book, of every paragraph and every sentence that has ever been written. God knows every detail to every bit of information that you could ever understand. He knows every bit of science, every bit of math, every event that has ever occurred. But listen to this. Not only does he know every event that has ever occurred, he knows how those events play into other events that play into other events that bring other events about. He knows it all. And he doesn't do it without any strain on his brain or need for a nap. And I I get winded just kind of saying it. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge that is God. Okay, God knows every thought that you've ever had. God knows everything that you've ever done. He knows everything, every decision that you've ever made. He knows it all. He knows everything. But it doesn't stop there. Look in verse 34. I'm sorry, let's back up. Verse 33. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor. This is what it's saying. He says, where's the man that can go to God and say, God, okay, uh, I see what you're doing down here. You know, I'm watching this whole thing play out, uh, but let me just, let me just, just hear me out. I mean, I know you're God. I know you're the creator. I know you're the sustainer. I know that all things come through you, but I've been watching what you're doing down here, and let me give you a little bit of counsel. I don't think you should be doing it that way. I mean, it says, who has even been able to counsel God? His wisdom, his knowledge, it's so vast. And none of us can stand before God and say, hey, God, you know, I'm not liking what you're doing down here. And so, so let me just give you some advice. He says, that guy doesn't exist. Verse 35. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Okay. Now, if everything's his, all right, 
If all of the riches are his, all the wisdom is his, all the knowledge is his, everything is his, then you and I have nothing to give to him. Nothing. Which means you and I can't give gifts to God. Are are you tracking with that? Because the reason why is because so many of us like to put God in our debt. Let me explain to you what I mean. We, we say, okay, we play this game. We say, God, okay, I'll do this if you do this. All right, and I'll, I'll give you this, God, and I'll do this for you if you would just simply do these things for me. And, and, and listen, God owes no man nothing. Nothing. And so God, his very exi- your very existence is gifted to you by God. It is a grace that you are alive. It is a grace that he gives you life. He owes you nothing. Every bit of laughter, every morsel of food. I had a great steak this weekend. God didn't owe me that. Right? That was a gift. Everything, every, everything is a bit of mercy and grace. And, and let me tell you why that's so terrifying is because so many of us, we just want to barter with God. Some of you, you just say, you know what, God, I'll go to church. I'll give to this. I'll do this thing as long as you'll do this for me. And we, and we play this game where we just simply barter with God. But let me just tell you that you have nothing to negotiate with him on. God's like, why are you trying to pay me off with my own stuff? It's all mine. Yeah, but God, come on, I'll, I'll give you my life, please. I'll take that life if I want it. No, but God, I'll, 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 I'll serve you. Acts 17 says God is in the heavens. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Or you think he's lacking? Huh? I mean, what are you, what are you gonna do for him? Are you gonna, you gonna give him a, a biscuit? You're gonna give him some food? Here, God, I'll, I'll give you some food. Here, God, I'll, I'll wash your, what are you gonna do? Wash his car? Okay, listen to me. He owes you nothing. Nothing. Not health, not long life. Not love, not a husband or wife, not children. He owes you nothing. Look at verse 36. Why? Why would everything filter through God in this way? It says, for from him... And through him and to him are all things. Why? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Why is, did God set it up this way? Why did God do it this way? Why does everything exist the way it is? It's for his glory. To him be the glory. It is his name. It is his renown. He is the story of the scriptures. He is through everything that is, that is. He is why you and I are here. It is for his name and his glory. It's not you. The story of the Bible is about God and God's glory alone. 
God's name alone. It's not so that you and I would be saved or lost. It's not about heaven or hell. It's about God's fame and God's renown and God's glory. But listen, everything in our culture goes the different way, doesn't it? Hmm? I mean, everything tells you you're the point. Everything from commercials to articles, to, to the, everything says you're the point. You walk into a store, you're the point. You walk into a, you're the point. Even churches today say you're the point. Let me just lovingly tell you, it's not about you. It's about God and his glory. It's about God and his name. It's about God and his fame. Listen, if God put you at the center of the universe, that would make God an idolater. In the end, that would make you God. And let me just be honest, we make crummy gods. I mean, don't we? I mean, so here's the deal. God doesn't put you at the center. He puts himself at the center. And some of you are asking, well, Eric, doesn't that make God selfish? Yeah. Yeah, it does. But here's the good news behind that. Is that God knows the greatest need that you and I have is himself. And so God doesn't withhold things from us because he's selfish. He knows that nothing of this world will satisfy you like himself. And if he takes himself out of the center, we would be lost. And so the reason why everything that revolves around God and for God's name and God's glory is the greatest news is because he knows that my joy will only be complete in him. We'll only be satisfied in him. That's why his glory and his name is the greatest news we could ever imagine. But, but the question is then, how do we respond to God when he offers himself to us? He says, I'm the greatest thing you need. I will bring the greatest joy. I will fulfill you like nothing else can. How do we respond to that? How do you and I respond to a gracious, glorious God? Look in Romans chapter 1. I've got it up here. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, as God, or gave thanks to him. But they're futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, which is why everything exists. We take the glory of God and we exchange it for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. I'll tell you what we do. When God says, I'm the greatest thing for you, I will bring you the most joy. It's about me. You know what we do is we hijack the story and we put ourselves in the center. And because of that, we begin to chase and worship and long for created things rather than the creator of all things. 
And so we want things like money and sex and house and cars and, pro- and, and, and just success. We want these things. And so we long, we want, we strive, we crave created things rather than the creator of all things. And in the end, it doesn't bring us any more joy than we had. We have this lie built into us that more of what we already have will somehow satisfy us. Well, if we just had that new phone... If I just had that new car smell, if I just, more of what we already possess will somehow eventually satisfy us. And what we do is we hijack the story and we put ourselves at the center. Listen to me, that is the root of all sin. When we worship created things rather than the creator, it's the root of all sin. Typically, when we've talked about sin, this is how it's done. We say, okay, let's play the Ten Commandments game, all right? And, uh, you know, morality 101, that sort of deal. And we're like, okay, how many of you have ever lied? Half of you raise your hand, the other half don't. And then I say, okay, the rest of you are liars right now, so we're all liars. (laughs) And we all laugh at that. So we do. How many of you have uh, coveted? How many of you wanted something that someone else has? All right, and so here's the deal. When we talk about sin, we think about it in these terms of just simply breaking the law. Simply, we've done things that the law doesn't require. And, And really, I would affirm that all of us have broken the biblical law, haven't we? And when we think about sin and we talk about sin, we would affirm that every one of us, including myself, has broken some kind of law. But you know what we do with that? That information, you know what we do with that fact that I'm a liar and I covet? Really nothing. Really we do nothing. Okay. I've broken the law. I've lied. Yeah, I've done these things. You know what we do? We, we do nothing with it. It doesn't sit on us. It doesn't weigh on us. We don't feel the weight of that. Well, well why is that? Well, I think it's two reasons. One, I think, it's because we have a misunderstanding of what good is. Right? And so what we do is we say, okay, You know, I've done these things, I've done these things, but haven't we all? And so what I do is I like to pretend, play this game where I like to compare myself to other people, right? And say, look, look, yeah, I've done that, but but I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm a pretty upstanding guy. I mean, I'm pretty. And so you know what we do is we like to find somebody who is, is just outwardly uglier than us and call ourselves good. Can we play that game? Yeah, I've done these things, but that guy, I mean, that guy's a dirtbag. I mean, look at that dude. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm better than that guy for sure. And so we play this game of, of intrinsic goodness and says, you know, I've maybe done some things, but I'm, I'm pretty good. Let me, let, me just, let me just play this game. All right, the prophet Isaiah, all right, and you. Here's the scale. The prophet Isaiah, all of his goodness, all of his good works, all of his righteous acts, all of your goodness, all of your righteous, all of your righteous acts, all right? Let me just tell you something. You're not winning that morality game. 
You lose every time. Yet in Isaiah 5, it says that Isaiah sees the Lord. And what does he do? He falls to his face. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people who are unclean, and my eyes have seen the Lord. He falls to his face and says, woe is me. I am dirty. I am dirty. I am dirty. Because he knows in the presence of God, he is not good. And so when you and I begin to play this comparison game, and I'm pretty, how pretty are you before a holy, right beautiful, majestic God. You're not. You're not. And so, the second problem is we don't understand that Ephesians 2 says sin is not just simply an outward action, but rather it's in your nature. Rather, it's, it's a heart issue. Now follow me here. Because if sin is in your nature... If sin is in your heart, then no amount of good behavior can solve the issue. Because what we try to do is we say, okay, I have a heart issue, so let me just take some medication to fix the symptoms. All the while, you still have the heart issue, right? I mean, you still have the disease. And so what we do is we like to cover up on the outside and say, look at my good behavior. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I behave good. I've covered up some symptoms that I have. I've tried to hide some things that are really going on in my heart. And the whole time, the Bible says that your sin that separates you from God, it's in your heart. And if it's in our heart, then there's nothing that we can do externally to clean that up. We can't clean up our behaviors. The truth is, is that sin is deeper than morality. Okay, now follow me here. So how does God respond? Deuteronomy 9 says that God is angered by it. Genesis 6 says he feels grief by it. 2 Corinthians 19 says that he's storing up Wrath. Exodus 32 comes right out and says, God will punish sin. Romans 3 says, the wages of sin is death. It's like we walk into the lion's den, we take the lion's food, slap the lion on the face and say, deal with it. What, is it, what do you get? You get death. It says the wages of sin is death. And we are all guilty and we're all punished by sin. We deserve to die. Matthew 10, 28 says ultimately God's right and just response to eternal is eternal damnation, which we would know as Gehenna or hell. Eternal separation from what we need most, which is God. Separation from the thing that will ultimately bring us joy in the end. Now listen, I'm not trying to scare you because here's the deal. Fear doesn't create worshipers. It doesn't. Yep, churches have tried, haven't they? We try to scare you into coming to church. We try to scare you into giving. We try to scare you into repeating some prayer. We try to scare you into into whatever. I'm not trying to scare you because in the end it doesn't create worshipers. But let me give you 
the truth is that every one of us have been separated by God because of our sin. And here's the bad news on top of the bad news. There's nothing we can do to fix it. Look in Galatians 3. I think I have it up here for you. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now I heard that and I'm going, I'm out then. I'm, I'm, I'm out because here's the deal, is I cannot obey the law. I cannot walk in the law completely. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. And so I read verses like that, and I'm saying, I'm out. And not only I'm out, but I can't obey the law enough to fix it. So what are you saying, Eric? Are you saying that we're all guilty? Are you saying that we're all doomed? Are you saying that we're all under the curse of sin and death and separation from God? Are you saying that there's nothing that I can do to make it right? No, that's what the Bible says. So I guess, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're all doomed. We're all under a curse. Unless. Unless somehow God intervenes. Unless somehow God makes a way that it could be made right. Isaiah 53. I don't have this one. I'll just read it to you. Verse 4. It says, Surely he's bore our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Galatians 3, that very next verse, 3.11. It says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by, give me that word, faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Isaiah 53.10 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. He says, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many, making intercession for the transgressors or the sinners. Here's the good news. Is that Jesus Christ bore our sins in him. And as I stand on my own, under the curse, Jesus Christ came 
and became the curse. And so follow me here. He died in place of those who would believe. Here's the deal. For every offense, every thought, every wickedness, every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, every lie, every stumble, every foolish fantasy, every fear, every sin that was an offense to God was laid upon him as he went to the cross and took the beatings and the death for me. Everything that I've ever done was placed upon him. Everything that separated me from God, he made right in Jesus Christ. In the cross of Jesus, all that made me an enemy toward God was made right. And so for those who would believe, we are no longer under a curse, but under grace and under mercy. We have been forgiven. Look at Galatians 2, 16. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Let me translate that for you. You are not made right before God by doing good things. You are not made right before God by obeying the Bible perfectly. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but rather through, give me that word, faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by, give me the word, faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It says we are made right Before God, by faith. Look at the next slide. It says, for though through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, what's the word? Faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, through doing good things, then Christ died for nothing. If I could somehow be made right by preaching enough sermons... By reading my Bible enough, by praying enough. And Christ died for nothing. But we are not standing right before God because of our works. But for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. Today, our celebration is not that we're good. It's not that we've cleaned up. It's not that somehow I found a way to buckle down and pull up my bootstraps and do enough good stuff. We celebrate what Jesus did upon the cross and rose from the grave to give me a new life and to forgive me of all my sins. Today, we celebrate for those who believe that we are forgiven. Let me make this point clear. 
God doesn't demonstrate his love for us by simply letting us off the hook. Hear me. Well, I mean, if God is loving, won't he just allow all of us to just be with him? By just letting us all off the hook? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were under a curse, he came and became the curse so that we could have access to God, so that we could know God. God demonstrates his love not by just letting it go unpunished, because he has to be just. He has to be right. He's not just loving. He's, he's, he's good. He's righteous. Nobody would say the judge is good if he just let all the criminals go without a punishment. Jesus became the curse for us. And those who would believe would be forgiven. So every accusation that could come against me was made right in Jesus Christ. And so by faith, Jesus stands before God and says, she is mine. Stands before God and says, he is mine. And so today, we celebrate in this little church in O'Fallon that Jesus Christ paid the price. And there is this great exchange that happens. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So get this picture. The righteous God takes on all of our unrighteousness, and in so doing, he gives us his perfect righteousness. 1 Peter 3.18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. As the band comes back up, I want to encourage you today that we're going to celebrate those who have, who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to celebrate those who have come forward and say, I need Jesus to be my Savior. I know there's no other way. But, but the Bible says that if you're here today, and you would say, Eric, I'm going to be honest. I've, I've worked my whole life to try to be right before God. I mean, I've done some good things. I'm not a bad guy. Your sin separates you from God, and today you can put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and be made right before God, not by repeating a prayer, not by raising your hand, not by becoming forward, but through nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can make you right. And the Bible would say that if you would place your faith in him, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus, 
is Lord and raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved, forgiven, spotless, and blameless before him. And I pray that that day would be today for some of you listening. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that right now you would begin to stir our hearts for you, God. That there are many people here that are broken, that are hurting, that are so lost without you. There are those who are here today who have never confessed Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, and I pray that through the Holy Spirit you'd begin to draw them right now. That they would understand and know that you demonstrate your love by sending Jesus to be the curse for us and nothing can make us clean except your blood. And so today, we ask that you would remind us of that, show us that, teach us that, so that we would cling to the great God, the only God that we could ever complete Our joy is in you. In Jesus' name.